Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Basord, and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based at the Bethlehem Royal and Maudsley Hospitals in South London. Joining me today is Dr. Simon Gowers, a consultant in child and adolescent psychiatry based at Liverpool University. He's published a very interesting paper in the November edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry, and the title of the paper is Clinical Effectiveness of Treatments for Anorexia Nervosa in Adolescents. And also with another group of co-authors, he's also published uh, another paper in the same journal on the cost-effectiveness of treatments for anorexia nervosa in adolescents. And we'll come on to that paper very briefly, maybe towards the end of this interview. So first of all, Simon, let me ask you, why did you conduct this study? Well, I think the, the starting point was that I was aware that there were very few uh, randomized controlled trials for anorexia nervosa in, in the literature. Indeed, the NICE guideline, which was actually published after we started this project, didn't give a single grade A recommendation for treatment of this condition at any age. So I knew that uh, there was a lot that we didn't know and uh, no good treatment trials. How did you go about conducting the study? What we wanted to do was to do a population-based study, if possible, um, recruiting as many young people with the condition in the northwest of England as we could uh, over a period of time. Um, and we wanted to test out treatments that were readily available within the NHS. So it's a, a randomized controlled trial comparing uh, routine treatment in child and adolescent mental health services in the community, a specialist outpatient program that we devised ourselves, and inpatient management. There were a very large number of patients recruited into the study. Yes, we were very pleased with that. One of the weaknesses of um, other trials in the literature is that they tend to be very small, often only 20 or 30 subjects altogether. And in um, American trials particularly, they're often volunteers, so not representative of uh, the cases that come to clinical services. We actually got um, 217 cases altogether, of which 167 agreed to um, randomised treatments, that is 55 minimum in each of the treatment arms. What were your main findings? Well, to some extent, our findings were somewhat negative in that we didn't find, when analysing by intention to treat, a major difference between the three arms. There were more subtle differences in terms of the satisfaction, which we haven't reported yet, and also the cost-effectiveness, the health economic component. But on the whole, there was very little to pick between the treatments uh, in terms of the clinical outcomes at uh, one or two years, with um, good improvements in the patients in each of the treatments, but as I say, not much to pick between them. Having said that, uh, there were some complications. The adherence to allocated treatment was um, poor for the inpatient management. But when we looked at those who actually took up inpatient management, their outcomes were actually uh, worse than uh, with their community treatments. In a sense, uh, the findings are really rather surprising. And let's just talk about one surprising aspect, that specialist outpatient help for uh, children and adolescents with anorexia doesn't appear to be superior than general child and adolescent psychiatric help. That's a very surprising finding, isn't it? It is quite surprising. And I, having spoken to uh, colleagues who work in the adult field, they're uh, particularly surprised about this. And I, I think that a familiarity with 
child and adolescent mental health services is quite important really because I think the standard of care that one receives for this sort of condition is probably better than uh, one would receive in, in generalist treatment in the adult field given that uh, CAM services are familiar with developmental aspects, they tend to work with whole families, they tend to work in uh, psychotherapeutic styles of treatment, particularly CBT is uh, popular within CAM services these days. And so the, the quality of care is often quite good. Young people in the CAM services would often receive quite good paediatric liaison to attend to uh, physical features of the disorder, as well as usually a mixture of individual and family therapies. So to some extent, that's not surprising. Um, having said that, because our analysis is intention to treat and our main outcome point is two years, uh, a number of patients did transfer to the more specialist treatments between the end of randomised treatment at six months and the two-year follow-up, which may have blurred the results a little bit. The other surprising finding is the fact that um, being admitted to an inpatient unit doesn't seem to be that helpful in comparison to being seen as an outpatient. Yes, this actually is uh, not as surprising to those who work in the field, I think, as to, to non-specialists. There, there have been very few studies looking at service provision, actually, in this area, though there was um, a very small systematic review published about 10 years ago, which looked at... Um, there were only one or two RCTs in this area published to date, and that also found no advantage of um, inpatient management. We don't know much about the benefits of inpatient management, actually. In this country, patients often stay three or four months for intensive psychiatric treatment, and I think we often think about the benefits in terms of weight gain, but don't think about the possible adverse effects in terms of um, reducing the family's confidence in managing the disorder and maybe some of the um, social and educational disadvantages of being out of one's normal life for an extended period of time. So taking all these things together, it wasn't that much of a surprise that the inpatients didn't do any better than the outpatients. Many people might see this as a bit of a blow for those specialist inpatient units struggling and fighting away to say that they should still be funded within the NHS. Yes, that's a good point. I, I think, you know, no single study is the last word on this area, but I think that it is quite an important finding from our study that of about there were 28 patients who were randomised to inpatient treatment and actually fully adhered to those programmes, generally within general purpose adolescent services, not exclusive eating disorder units. But over the course of the ensuing two years, as I've suggested, quite a few patients who hadn't done well without patient treatment transferred to inpatient management, some of them into exclusive eating disorder services, sometimes in the independent sector, and the outcomes of those were not very good. So the, the logical idea, if you like, that um, inpatient management might, so to speak, reach the parts that outpatient treatment doesn't reach wasn't borne out in our study. Those transferring to inpatient treatment from outpatient did badly. It could be, however, that um, some were transferred towards the end of the assessment period, the follow-up period, and maybe that the benefits of the inpatient management hadn't yet worked their magic. But uh, overall, our, our findings were not very supportive of inpatient management.
Is that perhaps telling us something about the kind of person who gets admitted to an inpatient unit, that basically if outpatient treatment hasn't worked, this kind of client isn't really going to benefit from much else, and maybe inpatient admission is more a kind of heroic life-saving strategy than actually being able to offer anything much more therapeutic? Yes. Um, well, well that's, that's a very good point. Um, obviously, the RCT design that we attempted was an effort to get around the issue of selection for inpatient management. But, of course, it's expecting uh, a lot for participants to readily agree to randomization between two treatments which uh, offer very different levels of commitment, i.e. inpatient versus outpatient. So this probably explains why only about half of the patients who initially said they would agree to admission when it actually came to it uh, came in. But I think, I think the second issue that your question raises is, uh, should we distinguish between the short-term medical management of physical complications and lengthy psychiatric treatment? And I think that often the distinction between those things gets blurred. So I think short admissions for um, sometimes life-saving physical interventions, of course, are essential in, in uh, the management of some. But I think one has to distinguish maybe admission to a, a paediatric ward for uh, a couple of weeks as against lengthy psychiatric treatment. And I, I don't think we know the benefits of lengthy psychiatric treatment over and above the short-term physical management that I've described. Was it possible from your study to take away any evidence about the general effectiveness of the treatment for young people with uh, anorexia? Because there's a fair amount of therapeutic bleakness, isn't there, perhaps uh, from people outside the specialty, that this is a particularly difficult to treat uh, client group? Yes, it is a difficult um, group to treat for a number of reasons. Anorexia nervosa has the highest mortality of any psychiatric disorder, for example, so it's not to be taken lightly. In addition, one has such issues as motivation and uh, difficulties of, uh, of engagement, given that many with their eating disorder feel that there are greater benefits in sticking with it than possibly relinquishing the disorder. So the condition has something in common with phobic conditions and addictions, for example, in that respect. When we've raised the, the question in presentations, what proportion of people would you expect to have recovered at two years? People give very differing uh, opinions. Some take the view that this is a condition that you can never fully recover from. So in that respect, our Overall findings were, were quite encouraging. We, we found about um, an 18% full recovery at one year and about a 34% full recovery at two years. And we took quite a, a strict definition of recovery, expecting weight restoration and good social and psychological adjustment, as well as absence of maladaptive behaviour such as purging and vomiting. So we set quite a high threshold and more than a third had fully recovered at the two-year time point. Most of the others had made quite a good improvement within the condition. So the outcome is uh, by no means totally bleak. How do those figures for the prognosis of anorexia compare with other research? Because those figures seem very, very optimistic to me. The literature has a range of outcomes and uh, a lot depends, I think, on the initial sample. A lot of the small studies that have 
been tested in the past have involved highly selected referrals, often to small university departments, or, as I've suggested, sometimes volunteers. So it's quite difficult to compare like with like. And then the timing of the outcome. Some studies have looked at the point of discharge from hospital, for example, rather than at a reasonable length. We've chosen two years as um, a sort of an intermediate outcome time point. And then, of course, uh, another variable is what you're measuring outcome by. Some studies have used very limited outcomes, such as just weight or BMI, as opposed to a more global measure of outcome, which takes into account behavior, symptoms, and social functioning. So we've used a global measure. And on the basis of that, I think our, our findings are reasonable. Some studies have reported more positive outcomes, it is true, but our findings, I think, are probably middling, given that we have a, what we consider to be as close to a total population sample as it's possible to get. We think that we identified about 85% of the incident cases that presented to CAM services over a two-and-a-half-year period, and we managed to get about two-thirds of those actually into the study. So we do hope that our findings are reasonably representative. Now, you have another paper published in the same edition, November edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry, this time focusing on the cost-effectiveness of treatments for uh, anorexia. Could you tell us a little bit about what your main findings are in that paper? In this paper, we've attempted to look at the total costs of all treatment and also incidental expenses that the patient and family might have expended over the two-year period between recruitment and follow-up, taking into account things like attendance at hospital appointments, time off from school, parents' time off from work, and health and social costs as well as educational costs. And these combined in, in quite a complicated formula that the health economists know more about than, than I do, try to combine the, the clinical effectiveness with the costs to produce an assessment of, of which of the arms was the most uh, cost-effective. And what were your findings on that front? Well, it was this uh, analysis which seemed to suggest that the specialist outpatient programme was the most cost-effective. And this was not so much uh, because the specialist outpatient programme was much cheaper than general CAMS treatment, but because in the uh, ensuing time between the six-month treatment period and the two-year follow-up, more of those who had experienced CAMS treatment found their way into inpatient management. And it's really uh, the inpatient costs which swamp all the other costs. This was actually a population who didn't use other services much, so they weren't high users of social services, special education, or um, other hidden costs. It was really the number of inpatient bed days which were spent by each of the treatment arms which uh, um, produced the cost-effectiveness finding. And the specialist outpatient treatment arm uh, much more rarely moved on to other treatments after the uh, first six months. So basically, in health economic terms, anything that avoids an inpatient admission is basically the gold standard we should be pursuing. Well, one has to take into account the clinical outcome as well. It's no point um, withholding the best available uh, treatment just on the basis of cost if the outcomes are less satisfactory. 
So it's really the combination of our finding that there wasn't much to pick between the clinical outcomes of the three groups, coupled with the extremely high costs of lengthy inpatient treatment that makes the outpatient uh, treatment more cost-effective. Simon Gowers, thank you very much indeed.